Hello, folks. This is J.B. Hickson with Not By Works Ministries. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. On today's podcast, we're going back into the archives and replaying one of our radio programs that airs in the Midwest market on broadcast radio. And today's show is about Joseph and uh, the encouraging story of the life of Joseph from the book of Genesis. So I hope this encourages you. And as always, if there's ever anything we can do for you, please feel free to reach out through our website at notbyworks.org. Thanks so much and God bless. You are listening to Not By Works with Dr. J.B. Hickson, advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, He washed it white as snow. And now with today's message, here is Dr. Hickson. I believe the Bible is the Word of God, and Proverbs 30, verse 5 tells us every word of God is flawless. Hebrews 4.12 says God's Word is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It is the only standard for our beliefs, attitudes, and practices. When we study the Bible, it changes our lives by strengthening our faith. Because as Romans 10.17 reminds us, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Greetings, my name is J.B. Hickson. Welcome to another broadcast of Not By Works. We're glad to have you along for the program today. Our series this week is entitled Clear Truths from Classic Texts. Clear Truths from Classic Texts. We're focusing on favorite, well-known scripture passages and Bible stories that have captured our hearts and become etched in our minds. These are passages with which even casual Bible readers or even unbelievers are likely familiar. God's Word is overflowing with rich truths, and all Scripture is profitable, but some passages just seem to serve as regular and repeated sources of encouragement and edification as we read them over and over again. So far this week, we've looked at Psalm 23, perhaps one of the most well-loved and well-known passages of Scripture the world over. And then we looked at the wonderful historical account from the book of Daniel, about the three Hebrew children who escaped Nebuchadnezzar's fiery furnace. And today we turn once again to a famous Old Testament historical narrative. Let's turn to the book of Genesis and the story of Joseph. Joseph. We'll focus on Genesis chapter 50, the very end of the book of Genesis, verses 15 through 26, which relates the end of the life of Joseph. And then we'll draw some principles from this classic text that will help us in our walk with the Lord today. But let me read the text first, Genesis chapter 15, beginning in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, Perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died... He commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespasses of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now, please forgive the trespasses of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. For am I in the place of God? 
But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. I just have to read that again before we get into the text here. What a powerful verse, verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. The children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. You know, things are not always as they appear. How many times can you remember reacting to some unexpected crisis in your life, only to find out later that things were not at all the way you at first perceived them? Every day we react to life's circumstances based on how we see them, and then often we find out much later that our reaction was unjustified. We call this overreacting. Have you ever overreacted? I wish there was some kind of template that we could follow in order to help us respond appropriately when a crisis occurs. Well, that's the subject I want to address on today's program, how to handle the unexpected. Things are not always as they appear. And I believe the story of Joseph and his brothers gives us some key principles on this subject. Before we look at some of these principles, though, let's go back and review the story of Joseph. It begins way back in the year 1915 B.C., some 1900 years before the time of Christ. Joseph was born to Jacob, whose name was later changed to Israel, and Rachel. He was the first child of Rachel, and he was his father's favorite son. This is most clearly shown by the special coat that Jacob gave to Joseph. Do you remember that coat of many colors? Well, this favoritism eventually brought serious trouble for the whole family. Joseph's ten older brothers hated him because he was Jacob's favorite and because Joseph had dreams which he interpreted to his brothers in a conceited way. It is no surprise that Joseph's brothers hated him enough to kill him. We read about this in Genesis 37. Well, Joseph and his family were shepherds in the land of Canaan, and one day Jacob sent Joseph to search for his older brothers who were tending the flocks in the fields. And when Joseph found them, they seized upon the chance to kill him. And if you remember the story, the only opposing voice in this plot was Reuben's. But eventually they finally sold Joseph into slavery to a passing band of merchants. And then to hide their deed from their father Jacob, Joseph's brothers took his famous coat, dipped it in animal blood, and showed it to Jacob. When Jacob saw the coat, he was convinced that Joseph had been killed by a wild animal. That's in Genesis 37. Well, in reality, Joseph was taken to Egypt, where he was sold to Potiphar, an officer of the ruling Pharaoh of the nation. Joseph's good conduct soon earned him the highest position in the household. Potiphar's wife became infatuated later with Joseph and and tempted to commit adultery with him. 
And when Joseph refused, she accused him falsely of that crime, and Joseph was unjustly sent to prison. While in prison, Joseph's behavior earned him a position of responsibility because of his integrity and his good behavior. And he was given responsibility over lots of the other prisoners. And among the prisoners Joseph met were the Pharaoh's baker and his butler. And when each of them had a dream, Joseph interpreted their dreams. When the butler left prison, having promised to intercede on Joseph's behalf, he forgot. And Joseph had to spend another two years in prison unjustly. When the Pharaoh had dreams that none of his counselors could interpret, the butler remembered Joseph and told Pharaoh about him. Then Joseph was called from prison to appear before the Pharaoh, and he interpreted the Pharaoh's dreams, predicting seven years of plentiful food followed by seven years of famine. And he also advised the Pharaoh to appoint a commissioner to store up supplies during the plentiful years to prepare for the famine. Well, to Joseph's surprise, the Pharaoh appointed him as food commissioner. This was a position of great prestige, and under Joseph's care, many supplies were stored and the land prospered. We read about this in Genesis 41. Well, many years passed between Joseph's arrival in Egypt as a slave and his rise to power in the nation during the famine, and that famine also struck Canaan, and Joseph's brothers eventually came to Egypt to buy grain. When they met Joseph, they did not recognize him. But he recognized them and decided to test them to see if they had changed. He accused them of being spies and sold them grain only on the condition that Simeon, one of the brothers, stay as a hostage until they could bring Benjamin, the youngest brother, to Egypt with them. Upon returning to Canaan, the brothers told Jacob of their experiences, and he vowed not to send Benjamin to Egypt. But the continuing famine forced him to change his mind. So on the next trip, Benjamin went with the brothers to Egypt. When they arrived, Joseph treated them royally, weeping openly at the sight of the youngest brother. Simeon was returned to them, and after purchasing their grain, they started home. On their way home, however, they were stopped by one of Joseph's servants who accused them of stealing Joseph's silver cup. Do you remember that story, Genesis 42? The cup was found in Benjamin's bag where Joseph had actually placed it himself, and the brothers returned to face Joseph, who declared that Benjamin must stay in Egypt. At this point, Judah pleaded with Joseph, saying that it would break their father Jacob's heart if Benjamin failed to return with them. Judah's offer to stay in Benjamin's place is one of the most moving passages in the Old Testament and prefigures the atoning work of Christ. Well, In 1859 B.C., Jacob died and was carried by his sons to Canaan for burial. Joseph was about 56 years old at the time of his father's death. And in 1805 B.C., Joseph himself died. And after Jacob's death, Joseph had dwelt in Egypt with his brothers for another 54 years, making him 110 years old at his death, as we read about in the text we read a moment ago. Well, the message of Genesis at the macro level, the big picture, teaches us many things. It teaches us that God is powerful. He's the powerful creator, in the beginning God. It teaches us that he's sovereign over the affairs of the world, that he can be trusted. It reminds us that man is created in the image of God and that man can have a relationship with his creator. And it also teaches us that as God's people trust God, they will experience God's incredible blessing. Joseph is an awesome story that has so many twists and turns. There were so many unexpected and unfair events in Joseph's life. He was sold into slavery. 
He was falsely accused. He was thrown into prison. He was forgotten by the butler when he thought he would have a chance to escape. And then, strangely, he was promoted by Pharaoh, which God used uh, in a powerful way. And the underlying uh, principle throughout all of Joseph's life is that God was at work. And that though his brothers and others throughout his life meant things for evil, God was always at work moving in Joseph's life and working out his plan. So there's some principles that we can learn from this story about how to handle the unexpected. And and I think the first principle is that we should resist knee-jerk reactions. We should resist knee-jerk reactions. You know, when Joseph's brothers first came, uh, they were worried about how Joseph would respond to them. And uh, Joseph uh, basically wept when he spoke to them. And and they were, they were not trusting the Lord. They were, they were assuming the worst. They had a knee-jerk reaction. That, that phrase, knee-jerk reaction, is an idiom in our English language coined by uh, a man by the name of Dr. Gowers in the mid-1880s that describes the automatic kicking of the leg in response to the tapping of the tendon below the kneecap. And it sort of broadened in its usage beyond medical use to refer to any kind of unthinking and automatic response. And the quickest way to get into trouble when something unexpected happens in your life is to respond in an unthinking, automatic way. Take a breath. Stop. Think. Consider the realities. Pray. Recognize how God might be using this unexpected circumstance to bring about a greater good. And yet we often respond with knee-jerk reactions when life throws us a curve. We say things like, I didn't deserve this, or life isn't fair, or woe is me, or life stinks, or or, how bad can it really get? And what Joseph teaches us is that life is not about what's happening to us at the moment. It's about what God, our Creator, is doing in our lives. And we can't always figure it out. We just have to trust Him. That's what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. So resist knee-jerk reactions. I love uh, the famous quote of uh, Dr. Chuck Swindoll. He said, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It's more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. Attitude will make or break a company, a church, a home. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. That's a great quote. So resist knee-jerk reactions. Another principle for handling the unexpected is to focus on what you know, not what you don't. Joseph responded to his brothers in verses 19 and 20, do not be afraid for am I in the place of God? There is a God and we are not him. And God is never surprised. What they meant for evil, God was working it out to bring about good. God is in control. And God is first and foremost a God of grace. That's why his plan was to save many people alive. Remember what Joseph said, as for you, you meant evil against me. You meant harm to me. 
But God, who's greater than you, was working out his plan, and he meant it for good. Reminds me of Romans chapter 8, verse 28, where we read that all things work together for good. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And God does have a purpose. All things are not good. There's no question about it. Life is tough. Uh, We're expecting to face difficulties. In fact, Paul tells us all who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. If your life is not facing difficulties and trials and tribulations, you have reason to question, are you really where God wants you to be? Because when you're walking with the Lord, you're at odds with the world, and the world's going to not like that, and you're going to face some pretty difficult times. But in that time, we need to resist knee-jerk reactions and focus on what we know not what we don't. Fear of the unknown is the quickest way to get yourself in trouble. Don't borrow trouble. Don't worry about what you don't know. Focus on what you do know. There is a God, and you are not Him. And God is never surprised. His expectations are always met. He's always in control, and He's always operating according to grace. And then trust God. Trust God, not your fears. You know, all fears can be traced to one fundamental fear, fear of the unknown. Fear of the unknown. I mean, think about it. It's not the dark that children are afraid of. It's what might be hiding in it. It's not the snake that you're afraid of. It's the fact that you don't know whether or not it will bite you. I mean, we could go on and on. All fears come down to fear of the unknown, and we must replace our fear of the unknown with a firm, steadfast trust in the Lord. Joseph encouraged, in verse 21, his brothers to take heart and not be afraid because I will provide for you. Joseph could be emphatic about his ability to provide because he had confidence in God's ability to provide. Joseph had a spiritual perspective. He was looking through the spiritual lens. He knew that God was in control. And to the extent that Joseph trusted God, he wanted his brothers to trust God. So resist knee-jerk reactions. Focus on what you know, not what you don't. Trust God and not your fears. And then another principle for handling the unexpected is to focus on others and not yourself. Focus on others and not yourself. Again, in verse 21, Joseph comforted and spoke kindly to them. You know, when you find yourself in a crisis, did you realize it's very, very tough to be bitter and kind at the same time. So when facing a crisis, ask the Lord, who can I be kind to right now? Who can I be a blessing to? And suddenly your thoughts and your focus will become consumed with helping and being a blessing to others by being encouraging to others. And your your own troubles and your own fears and anxieties will slowly slip out of your mind. When facing an unexpected crisis, focus on others and not yourself. And then finally, uh, review God's promises. Review God's promises. What a great way to handle the unexpected. I can remember a crisis I went through years ago when I was in college, and it was a very devastating, difficult time, that life-changing event, actually. And during that time, I created some index cards. This was before uh, computers and all that were in vogue. I just hand-wrote some Scripture verses on index cards, punched a hole in the corner and put a little clip on them, and I carried them with me wherever I went and was reminded of God's promises. And if you read the end of this chapter, a very moving section as we read that, that uh, Joseph saw Ephraim's children uh, to the third generation. That's his great-great-grandchildren. 
Machir was his grandson there in verse 23. And Joseph faithfully passed on God's word to his children. When's the last time you sat your child or your grandchild on your lap and talked about God's promises and God's working in life? We need to set our minds on things above, as Colossians 3 tells us. The Christian life is a life that looks up, not down. It's a life that looks forward, not backward. It's a life that looks beyond our circumstances and unexpected events and sees that something bigger is at work. God is God, and He's at work in your life and in the world at large. Well, what about you? Is God a part of your life? Has there been a time when you recall trusting in Jesus Christ and receiving from Him the free gift of eternal life? You know, every human being ever born is born with a sin problem under the penalty and condemnation of sin. But God loved the world so much that He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to pay man's sin penalty when He shed His blood on the cross and rose again the third day. And He offers to all the free gift of eternal life. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whoever believes in Me has everlasting life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Me. A man must be born again. And that uh, regeneration, that new life, Spiritual rebirth occurs one and only one way, and that's by faith. More than 160 times the New Testament conditions eternal life upon faith alone in Christ alone. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ and Him alone for salvation? If you haven't, we'd love to talk with you about that today. You don't have to call not by works. You don't have to raise a hand or sign a card or even pray a particular prayer. It's a simple matter of faith. You simply cry out to a holy God something like, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I cannot save myself, and I'm trusting you today to forgive my sin and give me the gift of eternal life. Well, you've been listening to Not By Works, and my name is J.B. Hickson. If you'd like more information about the gospel and how you can have eternal life, give us a call. We'd love to hear from you at 1-800-895-1851. That's one 800 895 1851.